Advocating for change can be challenging and full of adversities. But with the right cause, it could be worth the fight. Hi, welcome to Precious the Foodie Podcast, the show that will uncover stories through palettes and memories. My name is Precious Pioneer, your host. I'm a chef, a creative, and a foodie. I'm meeting people all over the world using food as a medium to highlight truths into bite-sized pieces. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. It's Precious here. Today, I'm with a special guest, Lindsay Parsons, on the show. She has such a unique and diverse background. Originally the leader of Healthy Food, advocating for kids and their school lunches. She then transitioned to become an expert in gut health. So without further ado, Lindsay, hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on the show. My original career was in international education, so I had studied French literature and have a master's in French and Spanish linguistics, and then I got a doctorate in education, and I had a 13-year career in international education. But from there, I had a period of unemployment, and then I transitioned into starting a nonprofit for, to advocate for healthier food in schools in Montgomery County, Maryland. And then as I was planning to move to Tucson, Arizona, I became certified to become a health coach, which is something I've been doing for about two years now because of my own health issues and how I learned to turn them around naturally. You said that during that period of unemployment is when you started the non-for-profit. What kind of inspired you to choose that career path or how'd you stumble upon upon advocating for healthy lunches because that's kind of a big deal. Right. Well, so I had two children and I think at the very beginning, one of them was in school, but the other one was soon to enter school. And I did not like the food that they were serving my son. I had always been, I had always thought about good nutrition. I, even when I was in high school, I wrote a letter to the editor of my school paper talking about healthier food. So I'd been thinking about good nutrition for years. But I had always thought I would at one point do something about it. And then I happened upon a meeting where they were talking about the topic. I wrote a letter to the school board and I posted it on a local listserv and somebody saw it who had also been interested in the topic and she contacted me and we had coffee and and it sort of started from there. So our two passions for it kind of joined together and slowly but surely started meeting in our houses, inviting friends who were interested in the topic. And we found out there had been people who were previously active and it kind of just grew from there till by the time we finished, we had more than 5,000 people on our mailing list and it had become a full-fledged nonprofit. It had become my full-time job. So it started just as a little volunteer thing, trying to make little changes here and there and really just exploded. No, that's actually really cool because when I was in high school, I took this class called government and basically we had to email someone in our society, like our mayor or governor or someone in office about issues that we were having. And one of my biggest things being the foodie that I am, I care about nutrition and health and things like that. I also realized that school lunches and childhood obesity was kind of a big deal that we weren't really addressing. We were kind of just you know, pushing it aside. But if, you know, our kids are our future and they need to focus and learn and they're not getting the proper nutrients and all these things, what can we do to change that? And so I actually wrote my letter to Michelle Obama mm. because she was an advocate for that at that time. She said, let's move. That was her campaign to get kids moving and eating healthy. And she actually responded and it was just like, you know, kids like you is what helps. So I think starting in a local community is really impactful. It's a really good start. So what would you recommend um, other people if they have something 
that they advocate for and want to see transitions, what would you say? What were your feats, I suppose, that you faced to kind of get going? Because that couldn't have been easy to start a nonprofit, you know? Right. So. Well, one thing just in terms of the logistics of starting a nonprofit was we found a fiscal sponsor, which is an organization that already has nonprofit status. And underneath them, we were able to use their nonprofit status to begin to collect donations to fund the work that we were doing. So that's a jump start to becoming a nonprofit without having to do so much paperwork. But the mm -hmm. other piece is really when you're trying to advocate for change, that's sort of some of the hardest, most heart-wrenching work because you're trying to get existing systems of power to change and existing systems of power exist and have a lot of weight and a lot of influence behind them. And the more you have to do is you have to create weight and influence on your side. And the way you do that is by bringing more people to your cause. So it's really a matter of trying to get to people somehow, communicate with people and have them join your cause and then show the people in positions of power that you're not just a couple rogue crazy parents who want crazy healthy food for their kids, but in fact you represent the majority of the opinion that what you are saying is both scientifically backed, that it's mainstream, that it's logical, that it, you know, all those things. So it's really, it's influence and so that's, you know, we had to start small by going and tabling at fairs and by speaking to individual school PTA meetings, but slowly but surely our mailing list kept growing and word kept spreading and we would find a representative in each school and that representative would then recruit other parents and fortunately in, in that district a lot of the schools had listservs that parents could post to and attract other parents that way but you know a lot of schools didn't and were closed to that idea and so it was a lot harder to communicate with parents in those schools. No that's that's definitely interesting so you were in this for five years so what kind of impact do you think that you left an imprint on that culture there that when you were able to leave it's still existing? Or oh, is absolutely. Right. So it started, some of our early victories were getting them to turn off the vending machines until 30 minutes after the end of the school day, getting rid of the pink milk, telling parents about the fact that they were selling a la carte food like chips and cookies and, you know, cinnamon rolls to their kids mm -hmm. at lunch. A lot of parents weren't aware of that and the kids were just using their money to buy junk food getting mm -hmm. free water for elementary school children, getting them to start more scratch cooking, reducing the kids' food like pizza, the frequency of those types of foods, and then getting rid of all of the artificial colors in the school foods because those cause symptoms of ADHD in a certain portion of kids, um, introducing salad bars in many schools, and then the real sort of capstone project that, that finally made some serious difference in our district was when we started the school food environment grades for the whole state of Maryland. So we basically created a rubric to grade the school food in every county in Maryland. And fortunately, the school districts, there's only 24 in Maryland because they have one district per county. So it was a lot easier mm -hmm. than in schools in, in states where you might have 500 school districts. So we started comparing our county to all the other counties and it was the premier school district in terms of prestige. It was right outside of Washington, D.C. So it was a very wealthy county and they typically were used to being at the top nationally in every way. That started changing things, not just in our district, but across the state of Maryland. So that was, our coalition was called Healthy School Food Maryland. And we had tried originally to, to lobby the state legislature and to get some bills passed, but that didn't work. But once we started those grades, boy, things started changing. I started getting phone calls from food <laughs> service directors saying, how do we get a higher grade? And I said, okay, well, here's what you can do, here's what you can do there. And they started That's making good. changes. So all over the state, we, we promoted changes. So yeah, no, it really was, was very influential. And I, 
you know, it was fine. They hired a very more progressive thinking food service director in our county. And after that, I felt like, okay, my work is done. Like now she's going to start doing the kinds of things we want, wanted done for five years and I can safely move on and do another job. That's good because everybody wants to be the best. So I think having that uh, grade scale system really shows you it's a goal that you can measure. You know, exactly. you're here and now you can transition to here. And I think yeah. it was a story we can grab onto. Oh, this is a good sound bite. Like this county got an A, <laughs> this county got a C, right? It's, it's a lot more friendly than, you know, talking about at length about artificial colors, additives. Exactly. And the thing is, though, it, I think it also sets a really good example of what other states can look into. It's like the rubric of this is the first initiative or step in another state, like you said, who has more counties, they can initiate smaller things based on your Maryland example. Right. Honestly, I think that if you were in a city, for example, that had multiple school districts, like I'm in Tucson now, so I'm not doing that here. However, as an example, Tucson has multiple school districts in its greater area. So maybe grades comparing those districts might be influential versus trying to go for the whole state because there may be 500 school districts in Arizona, I'm not sure. So after this, you transitioned into being an expert in nutrition and learning a lot about gut health, and now you're a healthcare professional in that sense. I know that you also have a podcast as well called The Perfect Stool. Can you tell us about your new well, your new career choice, I suppose, and how you moved into getting into a podcast and starting that project? Sure. So I started as a health coach when I moved to Arizona in July of 2018. And I had become certified during the six months previous to moving. Actually, I was certified in April. And when I, when I started that, I had more spare time. And so that led me to starting the podcast. I'd always been interested in gut health. I had had gut health issues myself. And those had also contributed to my autoimmune issues. So... I, and I've just been reading a lot about it. It had been something, the microbiome. So my whole podcast is called The Perfect Stool, Understanding and Healing the Gut Microbiome. So I've been fascinated by the gut microbiome and by fecal microbiota transplantations or stool transplants. So, and how that could really change people's health. So all of that, but we wanted to get the word out more widely about those things. So that's why I started the podcast. And it has just always, yeah, been a fantasy to kind of talk about that stuff and to share the word with people because not a lot of people have heard about it because of the That's factor. true. <laughs> right, that's true. It's one of those things that not a lot of people talk about, but it's relatable in every in every possible way. A lot of people suffer from a lot of stool problems, gut problems, things like that, bloating, constipation. And it is kind of like a weird taboo topic, but because we all go through exactly. go through it I suppose so I feel having that open information available as a resource can kind of normalize like okay is this normal why do I feel this way on certain days why do I wake up super bloated some days and then fine on other days you know so I kind of wanted to talk about that and uh, kind of give that value to my listeners on what they can do to have uh, better eating habits or how to control that because um Honestly, I was really unaware to a lot of these issues until it's funny because my boyfriend, he actually would say, you're like really bloated today. What what have you been eating? And I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I didn't eat enough or I ate too much sodium the day before. And he was just explaining it to me and how certain foods can impact the way that you have a lot of gas in your system. And so I kind of wanted the facts straight from you <laughs> on what we can do. So I guess you can start off maybe by answering just a simple question of how do we, your show's called The Perfect Stool. How do we have 
the perfect stool, I suppose. <laughs> to be honest, so it depends where you're starting, right? So some people are starting constipated, some people are starting with diarrhea or a soft stool. So it kind of depends where you're starting. But I would say that there's diet is a huge factor. And, you know, I think a lot of people are intolerant to gluten and don't know it, never tried to get rid of it. But a lot of people are also intolerant to dairy. Find out what you actually are intolerant to. A really a properly designed and monitored elimination diet is what you need. It's hard to do because you have to eliminate processed foods, gluten, dairy, typically most other grains, seed oils. So that just eliminates pretty much any processed food right there. <laughs> you know, so like avocado oil and, and olive oil are okay, coconut oil is okay. And then you want to get, some people need to go so far as to get rid of eggs and nightshades, but most people should get rid of alcohol, caffeine. So you really need to do a proper elimination diet and you need to sustain that for about a month before you start retesting foods one at a time. And you need to give about a week to retest each food. So it's very hard to do because there's a lot of dietary changes and most people eat those foods on a daily basis. So that's why I say you have to do you have to do it right, which is why it's good to work with a coach because it's you know it's a lot. Just for clarification for my listener out there, as far as I'm aware, an elimination diet is basically kind of a trial and error of okay, I eat this on a daily basis. Okay, let me eliminate dairy for a month, so all milk products, everything, and then test one at a time. Oh, okay, all the primary foods that are allergenic, and then start testing. You've gotten rid of, of problems in your gut, and so you want to do it all together. Okay, so that's how to get started. And then if you would say if you had the more serious needs, you would recommend a coach or is that what you had said? Like that's one factor. How much fiber you eat is also another big factor. Most people are eating a lot of processed foods, a lot of sugar, a lot of, you know, white starches like, you know, pasta and white rice and bread, those types of things. Those, are, those foods are all going to be not great for the gut. And they're going right. to feed the bad microbes. So in your gut, of course, you have a lot of bacteria. You have trillions of bacteria. You have bacteria in your body than you do DNA of your own cells. So mm-hmm. you, something is, as many as 500 to something like 1,500 different species of bacteria in your gut. So when you eat fiber, which is in vegetables, which is in fruit, of course, that, that feeds the good bacteria and, and whole grains, of course. So it feeds the good bacteria and that will lead to better digestion. So just getting rid of processed food and moving to whole foods and you know more fruits and vegetables, that's, that's a big step that a lot of people can take. If you're constipated, you wanna make sure you're taking a magnesium that helps move your bowels, like magnesium citrate. Or if you have soft stool, you wanna make sure you're not taking a magnesium that moves your bowels, and a lot of them do. You said magnesium? Right, so magnesium citrate will help you move your bowels. Magnesium glycinate, on the other hand, will not, but will give you the benefits of magnesium, which is a nutrient that many people are deficient in. So often magnesium is a factor. Early thing that I would recommend for just sort of a simple case of of a little bit of constipation. I think that's a mineral or vitamin. What would you recommend us to get that? Is it mostly just like in greens? And- oh, I was talking about supplements in this case. You can get magnesium from food. I'm sure you can Google a list of foods high in magnesium. But people who are constipated with a supplement, you know, in the form of magnesium citrates. 
Okay, so this is actually slightly off topic, but sort of relevant. I know that a lot of people suffer from constipation, and I actually watched this episode of Shark Tank a few years ago, actually, and basically it was another gut health professional who's explaining how we go in America. is actually incorrect, and so he invented this thing called the Squatty Potty, which is basically a step stool that you use for the toilet, do you think that that's really beneficial or is it just fluff, you think? That we yeah, could I just go. I, I actually have a relative who uses the squatty potty because she's shorter, and I think it really is helpful for her to be able to get her legs up and get her more into that position. Because you just think about where the bowel is located and how it's logistically, you know, you want to open it up so it's easier to flow out. But of course, if you have, if you're getting adequate fiber in your diet, or if you, some people are use supplements like psyllium husk is one of my favorite supplements of fiber if you're not getting it through your diet, which is really hard. I mean, you're supposed to be getting 30 to 40 grams of fiber a day. Right. So, so that's why supplemental fiber is useful for many people. So if you have fiber, and fiber, by the way, it, it helps both if you're constipated because it adds bulk to your stool and it keeps it moving, but it also helps if you have soft stool because, again, it absorbs water and it helps, you know, so it solidifies. So it helps in both directions. And there's a lot of different kinds. You can experiment with different kinds of fiber. I had another question related. So I know that a lot of people have a schedule. When I used to take a health class, they said that you're supposed to go a certain amount of times a day. So is a stool schedule relevant? It's supposed to be every day or does it vary from person to person? You should be going at minimum once a day. If you're going less than once a day, then you are constipated. Even if you don't think you feel constipated, that is constipated. And toxins out of your body quickly enough. So you really do want to be going at least once a day, maybe even as many as three times a day if you're one of those people who has a super well-functioning system. But most of the people who are going a lot of times a day are people who are more on the spectrum of irritable, irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. And there's mm -hmm. something like 25 to 45 million people in the U.S. who are suffering from that. So there, in that case, usually it's too frequent stools and too soft stools are the issue, not not the, the alternative. Well, thank you, because I kind of wanted to know that because I fluctuate. I was really curious on how that actually worked because I know some people who go multiple times a day. I know people who go like once every couple of days. And so that's kind of a big gap. And so if, if you're once every couple, then you definitely need to be looking at your fiber, the fiber in your diet. Also, exercise is important to keep the bowels moving and also just for healthy gut microbiome. So if you exercise, it actually changes the gut bugs that do well in your in your gut, in your intestines. Right? <laughs> I just wanted to thank you so much for being a guest. I'm sure my listeners got so much information out of you and um, can kind of take away something positive and maybe have a nice, healthy system <laughs> after the, after listening to the show. And so I wanted to let you guys know that Miss Lindsay does have her podcast, like we mentioned. It's called The Perfect Stool, Understanding and Healing the Guy Gut Microbiome. You can find it wherever you guys get your podcasts. You can also find her on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook at High Desert Health. I'll leave all of her at, at the in the information of this podcast so you can go ahead and scroll and click on it. She also uploaded a new survey on her website. Lindsay, if you would love to give more information about where they can find that. Sure, at highdeserthealthcoaching.com. And I just, I, I give a lot of talks locally on topics related to the gut microbiome, on how and why to kick the sugar habit, because I work with a lot of people around weight loss without dieting or depriving yourself or cutting calories. I also talk about reversing autoimmune disease naturally, which is another one of the things that I coach people on. So since I'm not giving those talks locally right now because of the COVID-19 epidemic, 
I, I'm going to be doing some webinars, so I have a little survey about what topics people are interested in. So if people want to fill that out, they can just go to highdeserthealthcoaching.com and fill that out and join my mailing list so you'll be informed about upcoming webinars. Right. And if you also had any questions and wanted to join a group of other people who uh, love to talk about gut health and you just want to have a conversation with people, she also has a few Facebook uh, pages out there, uh, Facebook groups uh, that you can join. So it's going to be like Lindsay's Gut Healing Facebook group. But with every closing, we usually like to leave something with you guys. And so, uh, Lindsay, do you have any words of encouragement or inspiration or any extra tips that you'd like to leave the listeners with? Well, I guess the biggest thing is, is number one, that there's this whole world of medicine. And if you're on the internet at all, you surely will have been exposed to it. But, but if you just go to your doctor and you ask them for help with gut health issues, getting just a tiny portion of the knowledge that's out there, because there's this whole other field of functional medicine, which I consider myself in, where you're looking for the root cause of problems. Where you're looking at, is there a gut infection? Is there, uh, is it a diet issue? Is it a nutrient deficiency? And these are the kind of things that doctors don't know much about. They're not trained in. They don't deal with. So find somebody who lives in that world of functional medicine, and that that ranges from actual functional medicine practitioners to coaches like like me to possibly some dietitians and nutritionists are in that world. Find somebody in that world to help you because you don't just settle for. I've got this problem and there's no solution. There is always a solution to your health problems. There's nothing you cannot turn around or fix. Well, I shouldn't say nothing, but most things you can turn around (laughs) or fix, especially chronic health problems through changes in lifestyle factors and sort of basic, you know, gut health protocols. I think that's so great. Your words of encouragement and tips actually reminded me of that documentary of that guy who he was kind of sick and had a lot of pills or something. And then he drank green juice and ate healthy for 90 days or something like that. And he was actually really healthy afterward and didn't need anything. Completely removed all toxins from his body. And he had all kinds of things like diabetes and all this other stuff. And he walked out at the end of his experiment, completely healthy, completely healthier than most people, (laughs) most people, you know? So I think that's really empowering that your diet can really impact your health and your overall lifestyle. Yeah. I I had a client who's type two diabetes. We turned around in 11 weeks, so it's totally possible. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much again. And that's a wrap. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you everyone for tuning in this week. Please subscribe to the show and share it with friends and family. Don't be afraid to leave a review below. If you want to follow the show, check out our Instagram for updates at Precious the Foodie. As always, live life with love and love food with life. Catch you guys next time. Bye.